when people oftentimes hear the term palliative care, um, it, they often associate it with death and dying. Um, it kind of has a, a negative stigma um, in that way. Um, and, and oftentimes patients might be wondering, you know, why is my my doctor bring this up? Is it because, you know, I, I'm at the end of life, things are, are you know, not looking good? Um, and I think it's really important to dispel these misconceptions. Um, I really like to think of palliative care as an additional layer of support um, for patients who have serious illnesses. Um, so that, and those illnesses may or may not be life limiting. Um, so it's really care, palliative care is, is not just for, for those at the end of life. Palliative care, which is medical care to help relieve symptoms and improve quality of life for people with serious illness, is often a key component of cancer care and treatment. During Gynecologic Cancer Awareness Month, Dr. Katherine Zhang joined the Women's Health Cast to talk about palliative care, its place in gynecologic cancer treatment, and how people can approach conversations around advanced care planning in their own lives. Dr. Zhang is a gynecologic oncologist in the UW Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, where she cares for people with all types of reproductive cancers. From the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, I'm Jackie Askins, and this is the Women's Health Cast. I am very excited to welcome Dr. Katherine Zhang to the Women's Health Cast today to talk about palliative care. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, I'm very excited to dive into our topic in a little bit, um, but before we get started, um, can you tell me a little bit about your day job? So you're a, a gynecologic oncologist. Um, why do patients come see you? Yeah, yeah, great question. So as you mentioned, I'm a gynecologic oncologist at the University of Wisconsin Hospitals and Clinics. Um, it, gynecology oncology is kind of a confusing um, and complicated name, um, essentially for a physician who treats cancer for women um, and so cancer of the reproductive system. So I treat cancer of the cervix, uterus, ovaries, um, the vagina, the vulva. Um, so gynecologic oncology is a subspecialty within obstetrics and gynecology, meaning that after medical school, I did four years of obstetrics and gynecology residency, followed by three more years of training to specialize in oncology, um, essentially for, for women. One thing I also know about our department and the Division of Gynecologic Oncology is we've got a lot of really awesome researchers here with some a wide variety of kind of research interests. Do you have any um, uh, particular focus to your like research specialty? Yeah, yeah. So I would say one of my clinical interests is palliative care, um, as well as advanced care planning, um, which is kind of the reason um, for for this um, session. And uh, that's kind of one of the things that really drew me to gynecologic oncology. Um, I feel like we have a unique specialty um, in which we're able to really treat our patients very holistically. Um, so, you know, we take care of patients throughout their cancer journey. Um, and so from the time that they come to us um, with their cancer diagnosis to providing individualized treatments, um, so whether that be surgery um, or chemotherapy, um, we, we also continue to see them during surveillance. We see them when they have recurrences of their cancer, um, all the way um, to caring for them um, at the end of life as well. You mentioned palliative care, and like you said, that is um, what we're here today to talk about. 
Can you tell me what that is and what kinds of treatments or interventions might fall under this broader umbrella of palliative care? Yeah, great question. You know, I think um, when people oftentimes hear the term palliative care, um, they often associate it with death and dying. Um, It kind of has a a negative stigma um, in that way. Um, and, And oftentimes patients might be wondering, you know, why is my my doctor bring this up? Is it because, you know, I, I'm at the end of life, things are, are you know, not looking good? Um, and I think it's really important to dispel these misconceptions. Um, I really like to think of palliative care as an additional layer of support um, for patients who have serious illnesses. Um, so that, and those illnesses may or may not be life limiting. Um, so it's really care, palliative care is, is not just for, for those at the end of life. Um, and so, you know, what, what does that encompass? Um, and so palliative care is really a multidisciplinary, um, collaborative approach to caring for a patient where we're meeting patients where they're at, um, working to alleviate or palliate, um, as well as anticipate and prevent, um, a necessary pain and suffering. And so the really, the, the goal is to optimize their quality of life um, in the context of a serious medical illness. Um, and so I think oftentimes people think of it kind of towards the end, um, but really it can start um, at the time of diagnosis, continue throughout disease-directed therapies. Um, and then when these therapies are no longer effective or desired, um, you know, palliative care oftentimes becomes a little bit more of a primary focus. You mentioned that palliative care is a multidisciplinary approach, and I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about who all is kind of encompassed in this palliative care team. Yeah. Palliative care, um, it is a specialty of its own. Um, so there are doctors that get further training um, that to specifically work in palliative care. Um, however, you know, it's really an approach that any healthcare provider can have. Um, so anybody can really provide palliative care. Um, as an oncologist, palliative care is really integral um, to my practice. I would say that, you know, I use it to manage cancer-associated symptoms like pain, nausea, vomiting, um, advanced care planning, uh, discussions with my patients, as well as um, understanding the values of my patients, ensuring that we have a shared decision making um, so that the medical treatments that they decide on really align um, with what is most important to them. So it, it really is kind of threaded throughout my practice. How is this kind of care paid for? Is this commonly something that would be covered by insurance or something that folks need to think about an alternative way to kind of support? Yeah. Um, Palliative care is often covered by Medicare, uh, Medicaid, and most private insurances. Um, But, you know, having said that, um, it really depends on your financial situation. And so we do encourage um, people to reach out to their insurance um, just to know the specifics of what's covered um, and possible co-pays involved. You had mentioned that sometimes when um, you bring up palliative care, people might have this moment of like, whoa, I didn't think I was that far along in my disease or this kind of um, immediate connotation with end-of-life care. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm wondering, is there a different type of care that is more commonly sort of end of life associated and how is it kind of similar or different to what you just described as a 
a care that can happen throughout your disease treatment or just something that helps alleviate more immediate symptoms. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think there is oftentimes confusion between palliative care and what you're alluding to, hospice. Um, So hospice really falls under the umbrella of palliative care, um, but they're specifically for patients who have a prognosis of, you know, again, this is an estimation of less than six months, um, and for whom disease-directed therapies are no longer effective um, or appropriate or or even desired. Um, And so those are patients that would be eligible for hospice. Um, And so hospice, you know, again, under the umbrella of palliative care, so a lot of it is managing symptoms that are associated with um, their disease. Um, There's different forms of hospice. Um, I would say most commonly patients at least start with home hospice. And so, you know, you're able to be in the comfort of your own house. Um, It it doesn't include 24-7 services, which is oftentimes um, a little misconception. And so if that is needed, you would have to have family members or loved ones available to help with that or hire help. Um, And then there are situations, obviously, where home is no longer safe. And so there's also hospice facilities or um, inpatient hospice, too. For you specifically, you are a gynecologic oncologist. You care for patients with many types of reproductive, pelvic, gynecologic cancer. What role does palliative care play specifically in your practice for those patients? Yeah. So as a gynecologic oncologist, you know, our goal is, is always for a cure. Um, you know, we, we want it when possible, um, but we also recognize that it's not always possible. Um, but that doesn't mean that patients can't experience healing um, in, in other ways. Um, and so, as I kind of mentioned before, as far as palliative care, it's something that um, is really integral to my practice. Um, it starts with having these goals of care conversations, of understanding, you know, what is important, what is valuable um, to, to our patients. Um, and sometimes it it might mean, you know, especially for a patient who's had cancer come back again and again, and there aren't good therapies, it's having those hard discussions of, you know, what, you know, your treatment may actually be causing more harm than, um, than benefit. Um, and maybe it's time to, to transition to focusing more on quality of life um, in, in the, whatever time is remaining. Um, and so a lot of it is, is sitting down and just having a heart-to-heart and understanding, you know, what, what defines your life, what makes you you, um, and then how do we honor that. I would really love to talk more about that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess in particular, how can someone, is there key questions or key personal values or things to think about as an individual heading into maybe that that sort of advanced care conversation with your physician? Things that people can think through and kind of get their thoughts in order before they go have that consultation with their doctor. Yeah, I think... Um, one of the first things that is really important to identify is the people that you trust. Um, I would say um, knowing and being able to identify who that individual, um, who that we we call it healthcare power of attorney would be for you. Um, Trust an individual who would be your voice in the situation where you're no longer able to communicate um, what your medical decisions would be um, is probably one of the most important things. Um, And and then 
kind of as as you're asking, you know, how do you have those conversations with with that individual or with the family members and, and loved ones? Um, I think it it, it starts um, with sitting down and actually processing through those things yourself. Um, and there's there's really good resources for that too. Um, and, you know, I think one of, um, there's a lot of websites that you can kind of sort through, um, but one that I have found to be particularly useful is it's called theconversationproject.org. Um, and it was created by the Institute for Healthcare Improvement um, and has free conversation starter guides um, to help you start these conversations with family. Um, I think it, it, it has these prompts that allows you to kind of think through these things as well as um, sit down with uh, those individuals that you trust to start those conversations. I want to ask about collecting those thoughts and those those reflections, mm-hmm. the, the important people who will be kind of key assistants when you're making medical decisions into, I guess, how does how do those conversations then get translated into um, a real plan or something that's sort of codified and written down for when you go into a healthcare situation? We've got all of our thoughts. My physician has these thoughts. How does how do we change it or transition it from conversation to action? I guess yes, yeah, and I think that is is really important to actually place it on paper, written so that it's a legal document, and so that's where advanced directive comes in. And so this is a formal legal document. Um, it is state specific, so it's important to find one that you know for the state of Wisconsin um, here um, and and print it out. Um, and that's a way for you to formalize and write down these conversations that that you've had. Um, Advanced directive, um, again, it, it's very state-specific, um, but the Wisconsin Medical Society has an advanced directive that actually applies to Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa, which is kind of nice. Um, you do need to have, um, in order to make it legal, you need to have two witnesses also be present um, when you sign this document, um, and, and they can't be blood relations, um, but usually you're able to <laughs> find two other individuals that can help. Um, and then it's important, I would say, to not only write it down, but to make sure that you have a copy for yourself that's easily accessible, um, but also that your healthcare power of attorney, so that individual that you've appointed that would make and communicate those decisions when you're not able to, also has a copy. Um, and then your your doctor. Um, so that, that would be kind of the paper form um, formality of the advanced care planning. I know you said advanced directives are state specific. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give me a general sense of some of the decisions or mm-hmm. items that are in a document like that? What yeah. kinds of what kinds of things are people writing down? What yeah. kinds of prompts is it giving? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the the first thing generally that it has is the healthcare power of attorney. So designating the individual. Um, other questions that it typically has is it, it will give um, particular scenarios. Um, so say um, you know you were um, had a critical illness and needed medical interventions to sustain your life. Like, would you want those medical interventions? 
questions. So specific ones would be, um, would you want a breathing tube to help you breathe if you couldn't breathe on your own? Um, would you want chest compressions if your heart were to stop? Um, would you want... Um, artificial feeds. So tube feeds, um, if you couldn't, you know, eat by mouth anymore. Um, and those are just a couple examples. Um, I think for some individuals, depending on where you are, those answers may be pretty clear for you, um, what you would want. But I would say for most people, it's, it's probably pretty context dependent. Um, and so is, am I in a medical condition that's reversible? Um, so is it something where, you know, with some interventions, I would be able to get back to a place where I had the quality of life that I had prior to this happening? And I think in that situation, a lot of people would probably say, yes, you know, I want those interventions. Um, but say it's, it's, um, a condition that isn't reversible. Um, I think then those are things that you can actually, um, detail and then write down in, in the advanced directives. Um, so when I mentioned CPR, you know, that would be like code status. Um, and I'm trying to remember, I think those are the main things that are included. I think uh, depending on where, or, you know, what state the form is under, um, sometimes they do ask about comfort measures. So things that you would want, um, you know, if you are at the end of life that, that you think would really help you feel better. Um, uh, people that you'd want to be involved. Um, so there's some new, smaller, you know, nuances in, in these papers, but those are the, the main points that you'd want to make sure is there. Do you have recommendations for preparing for an appointment or even heading into an appointment where you're going to talk through some of these things with your doctor? This is, a, this can be a lot of information, just volume wise, a ton of stuff and also emotionally challenging information. Um, so I'm wondering if you have recommendations for people to kind of get the most out of that conversation and feel the most prepared for it heading in and have adequate support during that talk. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to reassure people that coming into these appointments, you don't have to have everything prepared. You don't necessarily even have to have advanced directive form filled out. Um, I think just making sure that you have individuals there um, that would be supporting you. Um, so whether that's a partner, loved ones, um, it's it's helpful to have other people there um, as well, um, kind of voicing and, and hearing um, what what your decisions are and, and what your desires are. Um, I think I mentioned the website, the Conversation Project. Um, I would encourage you know just hopping on there, using some of the resources, just to um, start thinking about these things even, um, and, and so you can bring it up um, with your conversation with with your physician. Um, but really, there's not a lot of preparation that needs to be done. I would say that. Um, I think a lot of the responsibility to bring this up should should probably be on us um, as your doctors. Um, we we could do a much better job um, of bringing up you know advanced care planning. Um, there's been studies that probably one third of Americans, just a third, have filled out advanced directive. Um, so we can do a lot better. Um, but most people want to have this conversation. Um, you know, it's hard to to get started. Um, but once once you open up those doors, um, it makes it a lot easier. This topic was your suggestion, and I'm so glad yeah. that we're talking about it. Um, what makes this such a a passion for you. You said this is a key focus of your research and of your clinical practice. Mm -hmm. um, what 
brought you to such a connection to this kind of work? Yeah, um, we learn in medical school a lot about treating the illness, treating the disease. Um, but I feel like as I've gone through, you know, medical school, residency, um, and, and recently fellowship, I think it's become clear to me that healthcare and treating people as a whole is really important. Um, so people, it's not just about the disease. Um, you know, it's, it's about what makes them whole. Uh, a human being. And oftentimes that goes beyond just what the disease, what the cancer is. And I think, you know, I, I treat patients with cancer. Cancer can be so defining for a person, um, but it, it, it shouldn't be. Um, and I think that's why palliative care, this approach really resounds with me because I feel like it's a way that we're able to bring humanity, I guess, back to um, people who, who have these serious illnesses. So, Bring the whole person back into the room, not exactly. just a specific disease. Thank you so much for um, spending this time with me today. Do you have any final things you wish more people knew or understood about palliative care and um, advanced care planning as I think this is crucial information for a lot of us, whether we're dealing with it personally or for family members. Yeah. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, I do think, you know, just understand palliative care isn't scary. <laughs> um, it's a wonderful resource um, for not just people who are at end of life. Um, if you're str struggling with any kind of um, serious illness, um, it can be a very beneficial. Um, and it's better to get on board and to involve palliative care um, earlier rather than later. Um, and I think really taking the time to have these important discussions with their loved ones. Um, I think it, you know, there's a saying that it always seems too soon until it's too late. <laughs> it's not too soon. Um, you know, sit down, um, make sure to identify healthcare power of attorney, um, and fill out the advanced directive. We can help you as your, as your physicians. Um, we're happy to do that. Um, and you know, this, that's just a starting point. Um, and I think, um, you know, and I even thought this initially with advanced directives, it's like you fill out this form and then you kind of forget about it, but it's a continual conversation and actually is something that should be readdressed. Um, if there are changes in your health, um, big changes in your life. Um, and so it's, it's a continual conversation, um, with, with, um, your family and loved ones. Dr. Shang, thank you so much for joining us on the Women's Healthcast today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Dr. Zhang shared resources and guides for advanced care planning in our conversation. You can find links to those resources in the episode description. The Women's HealthCast is a production of the UWSMPH Department of OBGYN. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can find the Women's HealthCast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find the UW Department of OBGYN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the handle at WISCOBGYN. 
Let us know how we're doing. Rate and review us in your podcast app and let us know what health issues you'd like to learn about at the link in our episode description. Thanks for listening.